0: Come and find your meaning in the American dream. Is that what Jesus said? No. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, come and die. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't sound like too good of a sales pitch. Come and die. Take up your cross. Follow me. That is what Christ says. If you're not a Christian and you're in here or you're listening to this, watching this sometime in the future, that is what Jesus... That's His sales pitch... That's what he says. He says, "Come to me and I I will I will make you suffer and I will allow you to persecute, I will allow you to be persecuted for me." Now, you need to think through the ramifications of that. Because if you think that you're a Christian or you're you're religious, but yet you're just seeking your own way and you're seeking your comfort or the American dream is what brings you meaning, you need to examine your heart. If Christ has changed your heart, He changes your affections. If if He's brought you new life, He gives you a new trajectory. And so I challenge you to think through the ramifications of that. And to ask yourself, am I religious and I'm trying to do good things? And I'm, I'm in a churchy atmosphere and I'm involved in people's lives? But yet... You've never really embraced suffering and coming and dying for the sake of Jesus Christ. You need to examine if your heart was ever changed to begin with. And this could be the day for someone in here that today is your day of surrender. The day that you reject religion, you reject religiosity, you reject being a good guy or girl, and you come to die. Um, today we're, uh, we're going to be talking about family tensions in this passage, favoring one child over another within parenting and uh, how, how difficult that is if it happened to you as a kid or if you're doing that, um, the uh, difficulties within, uh, within your family. Um, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. We're talking about the birth of, of J- uh, Jacob and Esau. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramaean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramaean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now what we want to do is every time you get into the Word, whether it's by yourself, whether it's in a small group, whether you come and you're being taught, maybe you're listening, listening to it on, the, on, on your iPod, whatever it is, you want to say, God, how does this, what does this say about you, and what does this say about me? You need to always analyze it from that perspective. What is this saying about you, God? What's it saying about humanity in general? And how does this speak to me? You need to be saying, God, what is this in, how does this inform me about where I am, where I was, or where I'm going? Because some of the stuff we'll read, you're like, well, that's something way in my future, Dave. You know what? Pack it away. Make some, make some, um, make some foundations in your life now for later on. Some of these things you're going to look and say, yeah, man, that. wow, yeah, that happened to me. In my life, and God will bring—he'll—he'll He'll bring it back up, and it'll be painful, but He will pull it out like an old cancer and do a healing in a in the surgery in your life. Many of the stuff He's going to say, though, it's going to be today. It's right now, of what God wants to do, and and I just love it because I, I just get to proclaim God's word. I do my best, and I kind of mess things up the way I try to apply things and in my head and heart. But man, if you listen to God's word, He will speak to you, and He'll speak to you today you know what it is you need you some of y'all you know you're like man jesus i really need this solution i really need this tension to be resolved in 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 my life but some of you are just like well i I don't know Dave. i don't know what i what i want but you know what jesus does he knows he knows where you are he knows what you really really need and uh he'll he'll speak to you today so prepare yourself um these guys have been married uh, jacob and rebecca for about 19 years um, Rebecca had not conceived. Danielle and I, in just a few days, will celebrate our 19th wedding anniversary—19 years—and we've got we've got four kids. Our oldest is 14, about to start high school. And I'm thinking, man, wow! What if it had been 19 years? Now, com- compile upon that—the uh, that there was prophecy. It's like, okay, man, the the whole God's going to do all these nations through you, Jacob and Rebecca. That's what. Uh, that's what his dad would have been saying. I mean, through uh, his dad Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, the things they would have been saying continually. Man, God's going to blow the doors open, a blessing to the entire world, and you're going to have more children than you can imagine. Now ladies, come on now. all right? Some of y'all, your your girls, or you're single, some of y'all, you're young, young married, or even some of y'all, you've been married for a while and you've had one child, two, three, four, maybe more than that. You know, but imagine the pressure on you if everybody's looking at you, saying, "You gotta have nations, girl." <laughs> it's like everything's everything's pointing to you. Can you imagine the pressure? Can you imagine year one, no pregnancy? Year two, no pregnancy. Year three, four, five, six, seven. God, where are you? Is this a joke? And she thinks about her grandmother. I mean, you know, on on her husband's side and thinks about her mama. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, excuse me, her, her mom, his mom. Um, and, and, and the pressure that's there. And some of y'all, you're there. Either, either people are like, mom, you know, you got your mom out there saying, when are we going to have grandchildren? You know, anybody out there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, or just in your own heart, you're just like, I want to have kids. I want to have kids. I want to have kids. And you're one and you're two, and you're three, and, and so on, and you don't have children, you're just like, what what are you doing, God? What what kind of story are you telling? Well, I, grant, I guarantee you this. God is telling a story. He's telling a story in your life. And He wants to be the prime character. He wants to be the one that leads you, guides you through the high times and through the low times. And I just, I just charge you that you just say, Jesus... Lead me in what I need to desire. Help me to ask for what I desire. And then when the time is right, give me what You've led me to desire and ask You for. Are you, are you with me? Does that make sense to you? And then trust. Trust. Um, it's interesting, this section right here informs men a little bit about their role within a marriage. And, and if you've been around a little while, you know that we believe... That every man is designed to be a pastor. Pastors, wow, we're going to plant a lot of a lot of churches. No, not all of you guys are going to be pastors of churches. But um, and, and granted, there's, there's a small amount of, of, of men and women that God will not bring to a place of marriage. And that's His design and it's best too. But the majority, God has designed you for marriage and family. And it, it, would you just have a wife or whether you have a wife and a Plethora of kids. God has made you a pastor over that family. The leader, the head, the shepherd over that family. And, and one of our, our, our uh, biggest parts of our DNA here at this church is that we help raise men To be godly men. And we help raise women to be godly women. And notice I didn't say raise boys and raise girls. Because as I look at the boys and I look at the girls, I say, we're not raising boys. We're not raising girls. We're raising men and raising women. We look at you boys that are in here, and we say, we see you someday as a man. We will not hold you and suppress you to be a boy. But we'll be raising you to be a man. You girls that are in here. We look at you and say, man, God has a destiny for you, not only as a girl. There's a season of life that's vital for you boys and girls to not be a man or a woman yet. But God has destined the majority of your life, like girls, to be a woman. And we want you to, we want you to have maximum effectiveness in, in how God is, is making you. Here, it shows that men, that husbands, that dads are priests of their family priests priests or go-betweens now now we don't have high priests anymore we don't have the ones that they're the ones that we have to go to them to have access to god at all that's how it used to be got jesus is our high priest we go directly to him however there's still priestly functions that we have particularly you men who are husbands and are and are our uh, dads and what as you look at this there's an intercession of this husband and their provision was granted. And I'm here to tell you guys, men, there are times in your marriage and in your family that there's provision and protection because you got on your knees and you prayed to Jesus and He gave you what He wanted to give you. But there are times in your marriage and your family, guys, listen to me. This is heavy. There are times when things things go south There are times when protection is not there, or provision is not there, and it's because you failed in your priestly function. Now I'm not saying every time something goes wrong that you're a failure. Not at all. But men, listen to me, and receive this. And you guys who aren't even married, think about this, about this weighty responsibility that says someday, I will be a priest in a family. They have direct access to Jesus. Yes, they don't have to go through me. But there are blessings that are supposed to flow through my obedience and through my intercession for my family. There's provision that's supposed to flow through my obedience to God. There's protection that's supposed to be covered because of my obedience and my intercession. And it's not there when you abdicate that responsibility. Let that sink in, men. Let it sink in. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the, the figuring out in your life to point out or just to press you forward. Don't, I mean, don't, don't get dragged down by guilt and condemnation with the concept of this. Don't let, don't let it pull you down. Let it spur you forward in what God wants in your life. So he engaged in his role as a priest. You know, and, and I don't know if he'd been, I'm sure he'd been praying, praying for years And so, we are to pray from our mind and from our hearts, from our perspective, always. But what's beautiful is when the desires of our heart meet the desires of God's heart, when His desires affect ours and inform us of how to pray, and then all of a sudden, it's magic. I use that word tongue-in-cheek, but it's amazing. It's lightning in a bottle because God says, now I'm going to do what I've been desiring at this moment, and you join me by praying it, and boom, there it is. Um, sometimes, I mean, if, if you look at this next section, you're going to see that that um, she prayed as well, and God gave her understanding. And I just want to comment on that really quickly because there's sometimes that when we pray, God gives, He grants provision, and there's sometimes when we pray, God grants us understanding. But sometimes God gives us neither, even though we seek it. And by his sovereignty he is king. He has the greatest of all free will, right? Sometimes in his sovereignty he says, "I'm not going to give you the provision. I'm not going to give you the understanding either. Trust me. Don't trust the understanding, don't trust the provision." Sometimes God will give you, he'll grant you provision but won't give you the understanding. Sometimes will not give you the provision, but he will give you the understanding of why he didn't give you the provision. And sometimes God will give you both provision and understanding. It's all up to King God. Whatever He wants, he wants to do. And trust me, it's strategic. It's not haphazard. It's not that his, his alarm didn't go off in the morning for Him to send you understanding or provision. God is strategic in what He ordains and what He allows. Verse 22 says, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So again, intercession of the husband. Provision was granted. Um, now we're going to get into the, the, the intercession of, of wife, of mom. Understanding is given in the next thing. But, but here I want to take, take a moment. And I want to point out to you that what's really going on here of this, this uh, struggling That's going on inside of her. I mean, how how many of you ladies have been? uh, You've experienced pregnancy, brought brought a baby into this world. How many? Let me see your hands. All right, a bunch of you. Um, You know, you you know what it's like. In fact, one of the freakiest cool things in the world is at about six months, you know, and that baby, you know, you just see this full handprint that'll that'll come up here, or this, or this elbow, and it just goes zip, you know, and it's like, wow, I've seen too many alien movies. This dude's going to pop out anytime, right? Um, It's, it's amazing to see it. And and just some of the time, you know, and and the ladies, sometimes they just get kind of sick because of the moving around that's going on. That's even past the morning sickness, but just because there's turmoil. Well, it's, it's not that they were just moving. That's not what the English is, is telling us here. If you look in, into, the, into the original language of the Hebrew, um, the word for struggle that's here um, was not just about innocent tumbling. The synonyms for this Hebrew root are crush or to break, or to oppress, or to treat violently. And you're like, what are you talking about? Treating violently in, in the womb, two twins and all that? That doesn't make any sense, Dave. Actually, it does. If you have a biblical worldview. See, uh, man, I, I, we have four kids, and man, I, 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 was, I caught every one of them. I did. I caught every one of my children in, in the O.R., and it was just amazing that I was able to be a part of, of that process. And um, after they get all cleaned up, they're really cute. And until then, they look like a slimy lizard, right? But, but they you know, these children, infants and just I mean, a few weeks old, a few months old, they are so they're, they're beautiful. We look at them, and, and we just think innocence and we think beauty, and of course, they're so beautiful because they look. Half like you, probably. That's why you think that. And and uh, but you, you just look. It's like, man, this child can do no wrong. It's just innocent. It's like a cherubim. It's 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 an angel. No, not so much. Not so much. You see, we're being informed here that even as innocent, now, relatively speaking, man, they're close to perfect because we're so jaded and so messed up. But they're not. From conception, they're self-seeking, self-serving. They're incredibly selfish little creatures. And it informs us that at conception we're born or we're we're conceived broken. We're conceived with a dead heart. We're conceived again, Martin Luther's Martin Luther's great definition for sin is sin is man turned inward upon himself. I mean, think about a fetus. You know, inside a be, inside a womb. You know, at that point, and just you, you can just see this baby kind of turned upon himself. And it's true; as adults, we're turned upon ourselves, and even in the womb, we're turned upon ourselves. We're born sinners. It's only the grace of God that can that can change things. It's that they were. Li- I mean, it, the text is saying that these guys were fighting in the womb. I mean, I had a big brother, five and a half years. Older and we fought, but not not even all that much, because he was five and a half years older, and he could pummel me. Can you imagine sibling rivalry being so bad that it starts in the womb, and that's these two that's Jacob and Esau. Now uh, I just want to give a counterpoint right now, though, uh, because from a from a biblical perspective. These were twins that were humans in the womb. The Hebrew word that was used here was the plural of the word "son," which described primarily sons that were outside the womb, that were children or even adults. What 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 are we being informed of here? They're not. They're they're they are human. They are they're boys and they're girls. They're sons and daughters from the moment of conception. I, it breaks my heart that America is so jaded with abortion. I, it, it it tears me apart. I mean, do, do I, I I believe that the right should be out there that if if there is there is a a wife that's on the table and a husband has to choose between the life of his of his wife or his non born child that. There, there should be the right for that husband to be able to make the decision between between the two of who who's going to be saved. But you'd better know that it's a real baby, it's a real human being that's in there. I mean, so much of the whole pro-abortion movement is in saying it's not a baby yet, it's not a baby yet, it's not a baby. It's all theory, at least at, at best it's theory. I don't believe it's theory. I believe it's human, but it, at, at worst, excuse me, at worst, it's a theory that we think it's, it becomes a baby, it be- has a consciousness at some point. We're not really sure where. Well, how jaded do you have to be to say, well, we're not really sure, so we'll go ahead and okay that it can be killed? It's a baby. It's a baby. And there's forgiveness and grace. For any who have been a part of the killing of an unborn child, there's, there's grace that's available. There's mercy. And if you're there, if you've been there as a, as a husband or as a, as a wife or as a boyfriend or girlfriend, there's grace. There's mercy. But we need to start at a place of confession to say, you know what, I'm going to give up all of, all of my manipulations to try to convince myself and justify that maybe it wasn't, it was, wasn't a baby. It was a baby. She went on to inquire in the Lord. Verse 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within shall be divided. The, young, the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Alright? Now again, getting back to the thing of here's the intercession of a wife. Intercession of a mom on behalf of, of, of herself and her family, but specifically for her children. And God gave her understanding. Ladies, even if you're not a mom yet. God, is, God has designed it to where, man, when you, you pray, man, God God just gives such great discernment to, to ladies and to, to, to wives and to moms. Man, God will speak to you. He'll reveal wisdom to you. Just tr- trust Him. You may not get it yet, but it is part of your responsibility, girls, for the future, and ladies, for the future, hu- wives and moms, for you to intercede and say, God, Help me to understand what's going on in my life. Help me to understand, particularly what's going on in my marriage or in my children. And God, God will reveal. God will reveal. He gave He gave her a prophecy. He was. I mean, God was like, well, I, look, I already see this thing. I already know. I've already seen everything that's going to happen. And let me just give you a little bit of insight. The younger is going to serve. Excuse me. The older is going to serve the younger ultimately he was given the prophecy that the Edomites Edom we'll see in a second was one of the names for, for Esau. Uh, the Edomites will will serve they'll be subservient to Israel uh, There's other prophecies that just I mean there are the parts of the prophecy. I don't have time to get into it right now, but just really that point to how um, the uh, Jacob ended up being kind of a more civilized man and Esau just kind of a wild man and it, and it really represents if you look historically israel versus even a lot of the a lot of their, their relatives verse 24 When her days to give birth were completed behold there were twins in her womb the first came out red all his body like a hairy cloak so they named him esau afterward his brother came out with his hand holding esau's heel so his name was called jacob isaac was 60 years old when she bore them when the boys grew up esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Let me tell you a little bit about the names of Jacob and Esau. Then I'll just talk about what it means when you, start, when you start favoring children and how it can wreck things. Um, and we'll see this a lot more as we go further into the story of what, uh, what Jacob does. Um, Jacob, um, the, the word um, really means one who follows on another's heels. It also means supplanter, you know. One, one who's trying to replace, replace one, another one, take someone else's place. Um, uh, if you want more information, I'll be glad to talk to you afterwards. Just on, on his name, Esau, um, red is really what it meant. Um, the name of Edom, uh, which which was his name. That name was given to him later on, and uh, that not only referred to him being red, but referred to the stew. That's in the story that, uh, by which he traded his birthright. And so uh, what you'll see is uh, no longer was he known for, known for his name and his real birthright. He was, known, he was known for what he compromised. And that happens a lot in our lives. As we become known for what we compromise. Um, in the womb, the, again, Jacob and Esau, they fought as they grew up. Esau was very strong physically. Um, Joseph was clever, he had a strong mind, and uh, both both of them that you got you got any strength that you have it's as if if you turn if, if it 's like a glove you can turn it inside out and you'll find one of your greatest weaknesses as well and both of those things were were their weaknesses uh, as well um, It says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob um, this means that they were. You know, they showed favoritism for them. And, and really, as we look at the story of these guys, of, of, of Isaac and of Rebekah, uh, what you find is that Isaac was a lot like, he was a lot like Jacob. And you'll find that Rebekah had a lot of characteristics like Esau. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I mean, you just you see a strong, independent woman here. A Decision maker, no problem in doing in, in making a, a hard decision. And you, and you see Isaac, who he, he was just—he was, he was a man who was civilized, and, and I mean, he, he took care of things. He was—he was pretty gentle, and, and they were drawn to the opposite of themselves. And 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 in so many ways, we're drawn to others that have our own strengths. We we're, we do that a lot, but much of the time, we're drawn to people who are not like us. And part of the reason is because we don't understand how God can redeem the goodness, you know, redeem the things that are in our lives, even our strengths when we see how we manipulate uh, or we we press in wrong areas in our lives and we get tired of that and we get sick of that and though we may still play to our strengths inside we're just like ah I hate this about me. And when we see that in somebody else we're like I hate that in you. And so then we're drawn a lot of times to somebody then that has they're strong in the areas where we're where we're weak, are you with me? Now, now that's not that's not always a bad thing to be drawn to somebody who has other strengths. In fact, the, my challenge to you guys who are not married uh, that that you would say, God, give me somebody that is really strong where I have weaknesses, and help me also to be very strong where they're weak, so that together, together we can be we can be stronger. And and it also causes tension too, because then you're your weaknesses kind of clash as well. Um, but it's important, it's important to have that within within a marriage. Um, It works great. It works great in a marriage, but but it can be difficult for you with children. That if you now now granted it usually goes one of one way or the other. Either either what you do is in a in a a, a marriage and in a, a family you'll look to the one that is a lot like you and you're drawn to that one because you're like, okay, I will live vicariously through this son or through this daughter. Because all the things I did not do or all my failures, maybe I can bring redemption to myself, make myself feel better by by pressing into their life. And so you, you may lean more toward the one that you're more like because you're using them to make yourself feel better. Don't do that. Or the other side, is, is it's just like, okay, I'm really drawn to the one that's not so much like me. You know? and, and if you're not careful, there it will it'll, there'll be an imbalance, one side or, or the other, of how you deal with, with your children. Um, and I'm telling you, when, when you're not together in your parenting, you work against one another. Do you hear me? Guys who aren't married, file this away. If you 're not together, if you're not unified, you will work against one another, and that's what happened in in this family is they worked and I mean just wait for this, see where the story goes. Wait to see what sweet little Rebecca does and what Jacob does later on It's horrible the things that happened because they were not unified together. At this, with this kind of point. And I'm telling you, like today, we were praying for martyrs. We we're praying for an Acts 29 pastor. Well, we we're praying for his, his family and, and for the, the, the Christians there in this region of the world uh, where um, there was a martyrdom that took place this last week. And I want you to know that, man, God wants us to love the nations, He wants us to have. And listen to me. He wants us to have a specific love for the people in this world who have never heard of Jesus. Never heard of Him. They've never heard the name. They've never heard the story of God the Son whose name is Jesus. Our hearts should break, not to condemnation, but to propel us in trajectory. To say, God, help us to get the name of Jesus all over the world. And and some of y'all, you're, you know, you're the kids that are being raised up, and God's gonna send you out. For some of y'all, you're the parents that you, you need to go to short term, but you're gonna raise up some kids that when they're adults, man, God's gonna send them all over this world. And I'm telling you, there's some I just feel that God within this church, within Sojourn in the years that are ahead, we're going to have men and women that are martyred for Christ. And if you think about that as a as a as a husband, as a wife, as a mom or dad, it's kind of like, man, I, I, Dave, I, I, don't, I just don't think I could do that. I don't think I could send my child to North Africa or to the Middle East or, or to India or Pakistan or, or, or to, to China or, or Thailand knowing that they might be killed for Christ. Folks, we all are going to die. Every one of us are going to die. Jesus has already called us to follow Him, to come, and to die. Now we should not have some kind of a weird martyrs complex where we envy martyrs. If if you see that in your life, you see that in someone else's life, rebuke it. No, don't don't feel I will be a better Christian if I'm if I'm a martyr. No, don't don't do that. But but count the cost to say, God, you've already bought my life and. However, you want me to die is up to you. You better die. You better die in obedience to Jesus. You, you want to die in service, giving your life fully to Him, no matter what country or where that is. And so be courageous and answer the call if God sends you somewhere. And be courageous that if someone sends someone you know, a friend, A sibling, a son or daughter, a grandson, granddaughter, you send them. If Jesus is behind them, you send them because there are people that need Jesus. Verse 29 Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, (laughs) I'm going to dramatize a little bit, you guys. I'm sorry. Let me eat some of that red stew. For I'm exhausted, you know. And I'm, I'm just like, I mean, this dude. I mean, he's a strong whiner. Wah wah wah. He comes in. I mean, come on. Let me have some of that red stew. I'm exhausted. And and that's you know, it's if you know the rest of the story, so you know really where this where this goes. This reason why this is so dramatic. Um, Jacob said. Sell me your birthright now. You know I mean? He was ready. He was ready, man. He'd had that, he had that line in his head. He's like, I'm ready to use it. I'm ready to use it. When the time comes, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to play that card. I got it. Okay, sell me your birthright now. And he does. He plays it. Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, wah, wah, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Wendy Weiner. Jacob said, swear to me now. I mean, he plays the second one. All right, okay, I got you. Swear. Swear to me now. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All right, we're going to come back to Esau. You know, um, I'm just, what a, what a tool. I mean, come on. I mean, I've been hungry before, but your birthright? It makes no sense to me. Let me I want to read to you quickly from a book called Custom, Manners and Customs of the Bible about birthright. The birthright was a special privilege accorded to a firstborn uh, in Jewish society back then. Um, or actually, pre-Jewish society. It has to do with the law of primogeniture. Uh, look that one up if you want. Um, which is the right of the eldest child, especially the eldest son, to inherit the entire state of one or both parents. But it was more than that. It included a number of other privileges and responsibilities. The firstborn son also inherited the leadership and priesthood of the family or tribe, and he received a double portion of the inheritance. See Deuteronomy 21:17. For example, if there were only two sons, the firstborn would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. If there were three sons, he would receive three-fourths of the inheritance. It was as if the firstborn were two persons instead of one. Any portion of the firstborn's inheritance could, however, be transferred to another by God or by his father, or he could transfer it to himself as Esau did for a portion of red stew. I hope the stew was good. Can you imagine just rotting? just like rotted in his stomach, man. You know, later on he's like, mm, might not have done that one. Might, might not have. Jacob, um, uh, Jacob was the, the blessed son. Um, it it had already been prophesied. I, I just bet you Rebecca had told him hundreds of times, you're the chosen son. You're the chosen son. Now, probably she she probably did not say it uh to Esau, you know. Probably didn't say it around Isaac, and there's pro- there's huge problems in that of when you go around people's backs and when things are in the dark instead of being in the light, and so just more and more. I mean, she's probably telling him this: "You're the chosen one, Jacob. You're the one. Your brother's going to bow before you. He, his families will serve your families." Now, can you imagine what that would do to a kid to be raised to 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 know that, or to at least to have that information? What would it do with your relationship with your sibling if you knew this? And by the way, this is, this is seen again just later on in, in Genesis in Jacob's son, who? Joseph. Where he knew that he was also, the other, his brothers were going to bow before him and he's like, hey man, guys, I'm just so stoked because someday y'all are going to bow before me and they're just like, yeah, that's so great, right? No. That was not the response at all. So he, I mean, prophecy is prophecy. It was going to happen. But as we learned in the story of Abraham, you need to pursue God's trajectory and not your own. Because if your trajectory is not completely aligned with God's trajectory, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Jacob, he sees weakness in his brother. He seizes the opportunity. He manipulates him. And he uses deception and manipulation to get his goal. Guys, this is not God's way. It shows a complete lack of trust in God. It shows a lack of respect of the Imago Dei, which means the image of God in all people. I'm not saying they're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but but I mean not. I mean anyone out there is like we should have a respect because God made them. Complete disrespect in others. We marginalize people. We treat them as pawns to get what we crave. This is wrong. This is wrong. Some of us need to hit our knees this morning and confess before God, God, you're showing me where I'm manipulating people in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm causing them to fall so that I can raise up. Sometimes I do this with my kids, um, to say, even at a small level, I mean, they may. I tell them to do something, and they ask me the reason why. Why, Dad? Why? why, why don't you do that? And, and granted, there's sometimes when, and kids when they're being they're being disrespectful and they're just being disobedient. Like, why? 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 They're they're going. They're they're doing this, and and we need you, you put a clamp on that. Um, however, there's sometimes when it's genuine. They just want to know. And there's sometimes in my life that I will I will reject giving the reason behind the reason. Yeah, that's great fathering, Dave. That's pretty smart. Why why do I do that? Because I just don't want to take the time. I just don't really want to be bothered. I just want to I just want to be the guy who's powerful. Just do just do what I'm just do what I say. Shut your mouth and just go do what, do what I say. Go to your room after that. It's horrible. It's it's ugly. Sometimes I do this in my marriage, and and Danielle, I, she she does a great job of making sure our bills are always paid on time, you know. But at least one time I know that a bill didn't get in, in on time, and just you know, late fee wasn't a big deal. It's a late fee, and I and I remember piling on the guilt, you know. And I don't think she she realized what I was doing, but just kind of piling on the guilt. Just to make myself feel a little more powerful. That's pretty loving, Dave. It's ugly. It's ugly when we manipulate people. Um, Esau does not get a pass in this, though. He was driven by his appetite, by his senses, by his felt needs. He abandoned his birthright for one meal. And we're like, come on! Why would you do that? And yet we do the same with our name. With our character. With our integrity. Some people sell their name, their character, their integrity. I mean, you know, you students. I mean, at school, do you stand up for those that are being picked on? Or do you... Join right in so that you will be accepted. We've got to be courageous. When things things are not right in our lives or even in others, are we willing to make a stand? um, Or will we sell our name? Will we sell our our character? Integrity was defined uh, by at least one person saying, you know, who you are when no one's looking. Integrity. What's, what does it really look like? All right, so listen. Uh, just some kind of closing application, I think, for uh, for today. I mean, what you know? What do we what do we pull out of this story? Well, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to see, but one of them is when you don't get what you think that you deserve. What what happens then? You know, maybe you don't get it in the timeline you want, or I mean, it's what happens when you don't get what you think you deserve for years. For decades, I mean, they were married for 20 years. Talk about a promised son that would bless the nations, but it didn't come. It didn't come, and it didn't come. What do you do with that? Well, what you do is you you either go to that thing, to that ideal, for your for acceptance and for meaning, for peace, for joy. You go there. And if you go there, all those things will be crushed. But if you go to God instead and say, alright God, you're the God over the ideal or the trajectory over my life. I go to you and all this is it's, it's submitted to you. So I'm asking, but I submit to you. And your timing and what you want to do in my life. Um, what is your source of joy? What's your source of peace? Um, Isaiah 44, 6 through 8 says this Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not. Nor be afraid. Have I not told you of old from from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Guys, you need to come to a place where you just say, God, I, I'm not gonna go to any place else as my rock. I'm not gonna allow anything else in my life to be my God. Because where you bow, where you bow and where you put all your energies, that's your God. And if it's an idol, you better crush it. Today, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to crush it. But God's like, look, there's, there's no other God. So I'm your rock. There's no other rock but me. Finally, we see the, the, the twins struggled. They struggle within the womb. We talked about how we're born broken. We're born broken. That's the human condition. We're broken people. But I want you to know there's amazing news. God did something about it. He could have just let it roll and let it fly. He could have just stayed distant and just see it go completely out of control. And, and I think the whole thing would have imploded probably in a couple of hundred years and everybody would have killed each other probably if God had not done, if God had not done some things to bring start the redemption train rolling. But He didn't leave us alone. He pressed in. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what the sin is. The thing that you're just like, well, man, this story is just way too good to be true because you don't know the stuff that I did. I, I don't know the things that you did. But God does. And He died for you. And He paid for that sin. And He's drawing you. And He's saying, I'm the good news. Come to Me. Come to Jesus. And I'm telling you all today, come to Jesus. If you're not a Christian in here and you know it, and you're just like, well, I'm not real sure, I'm re- kind of religious and been in church for a while, but I don't know, my heart really doesn't look like you know, a heart for God. Come to Jesus today. Surrender. If you guys are Christians, man, come to Jesus. Come to your rock. And just, just say, Lord, I put away all the other idols. I put away all the other things that have become gods in my life. And I come to You. Jesus, so... Uh